Your daughter's young, vulnerable, online. You fear the worst. Pushed to change her sex. You have some right to help her through this. But activists want to take all that away. No. No, they don't. No, they don't, Ohio. Don't be fooled by clowns and liars. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. In Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950. KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me. From bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. It is our uh, first opportunity to open up our phone lines to callers since Donald Trump's third indictment last week, his second critical uh, criminal indictment at the federal level. This one in which he is finally being brought to justice for his attempt to steal the 2020 presidential election while serving as our sitting president. Don't be confused by what the media tells you. He has done no less than that. Tried to steal an election in multiple ways, multiple times. Thankfully, he's as crappy as that as he is at pretty much everything else in his life. Uh, he was, as you know by now, charged with four felonies, including three conspiracy charges related to that failed effort, bringing the current total of charges at both the state and federal level that he now faces as the current 2024 GOP presidential frontrunner to more than 70. I actually think it's 74. I've heard some people say it's 78. It is so many charges now, we don't know how many charges Donald Trump is actually facing, Desi Doyen. Do you? I do not, but <laughs> I, I think uh, we figured out that it's somewhere around the nature of his age. So it's as many, not quite as 77 as I understand it. He is 77. He said, uh, he told the uh, judge in the courtroom last week during his arraignment, he was 77. That's how he uh, answered, how old are you? A little Mr. rattled, President? maybe? Yeah, just a little. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we covered the actual indictment on a number of broadcasts last week, but today is our first chance to try and carve out some time 
if I can, uh, to get your thoughts on it and if this case or the new one expected from Fulton County, Georgia District Attorney as early as this week, and I think it's going to be a big one, but I can't, uh, I don't have time to discuss why until maybe later. We'll see. Uh, anyway, that will that finally, any of this, finally break the fever among Republicans? Or it's uh, denialism uh, and, and pro-authoritarianism as usual for the once grand old party. If time allows, I hope to open up the phones a little bit later to that. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. If those of you uh, listening live in our Southern California listening area or anywhere else across the world via the web stream on kpfk.org. If any of you would like to queue up now with any of your thoughts, you can do so. But please note, you'll need to hit button number one when you call in to join us on air. KPFK, our Pacifica Radio Network flagship station here in L.A., is on Fun Drive again this month. And I do hope that those of you who enjoy the broadcast or at least learn something from it, or even hate listen to it, might consider a pledge of any amount you can afford uh, in order to thank and help encourage KPFK to continue to run it. If you listen on another listener-supported radio station, please consider donating to that outlet as well, as those of us who tell the truth over your public airwaves, ironically enough, have the most difficult time maintaining access to those publicly owned airwaves. We can only do it with your support, so thank you. And, by the way, if you're listening later or elsewhere to our uh, archived uh, podcast, uh, you are, as always, free and welcome to donate via kpfk.org. Lots of uh, premium gifts there for you if you choose. No matter when and how you do it, however, please let them know that you are a broadcast listener as that helps Desi and me specifically to continue our work. Okay, it was a very busy week last week, given Jack Smith's second federal indictment of Donald J. Trump, the disgraced, twice impeached, now three times indicted former president. And we've got some non-presidential election news we need to get to as well today. Wish us luck. But there is one story uh, really sort of two that worked together that I had I had to keep kicking down the road last week, thanks to various breaking news all week. But there is a deadline associated with that news this week. So I want to make sure to get this out to you now uh, or to those of you who may know someone who has served in the military. I want to get it out right here at the top of the show so I don't uh, miss it again before the deadline passes on Wednesday of this week, I believe. As the uh, 2024 presidential race ramps up, President Biden has been attempting to make the case for his, frankly, remarkably effective presidency. As we have been noting in recent days, he is uh, much better at presidenting than he is at uh, singing his own praises and those of his administration. Uh, But we've been trying to cover just some of his administration's landmark accomplishments on everything from the economy to the environment, since much of the media is doing such a terrible job of that. This week, uh, Biden is planning a swing out west to a number of states to tout the one-year anniversary, I think it's next week, of his landmark Inflation Reduction Act, most notably at least to my mind and probably to Desiree's, uh, the 400 billion, at least 400 billion in long overdue investments to help mitigate our worsening 
climate crisis. Yes, of course. And remember that $400 billion is stretched out over 10 years, so it's really not as loud as, as big as it sounds. And that, Well, it's actually bigger if uh, more companies take advantage of it. Indeed it is. Um, and, uh, and also, it not just uh, mitigates the climate crisis, but it also returns manufacturing to the U.S. for the first time in decades. As uh, particularly as it relates to renewable energy, we noted last week, I think it was, that the uh, IRA has already, uh, as AP described it, I think, uh, quote, turbocharged investment across the nation in new, clean, renewable energy related manufacturing jobs. But there was another aspect of President Biden's uh, presidency to date that I had not been able to get to. Here is part of it. One week ago, last Friday, the president gave final approval to the biggest reshaping in generations of the country's uniform code of military justice, stripping commanders of their authority over cases of sexual assault, rape and murder to ensure prosecutions that are independent of the chain of command. Well, about damn time. Thank you, Mr. Biden. By signing a far-reaching executive order, Mr. Biden ushered in the most significant changes to the modern military legal system since it was created in 1950. After about two decades of pressure from lawmakers and advocates of sexual assault victims who had argued that victims in the military were too often denied any kind of justice. The White House called the changes to the military justice system, quote, a turning point for survivors of gender based violence in the military and said they kept promises that Mr. Biden had made as a candidate. It is a monumental step, said the National Security Council spokesperson, John Kirby. Any change to the Uniform Code of Military Justice is a big deal. He noted this one is particularly important given the scourge of sexual assault and harassment that the military still continues to wrestle with. The changes had been, uh, uh, for years, been opposed by military commanders, but they were finally embraced by the Pentagon in 2021 under the Biden administration and mandated by a law spearheaded by New York's Democratic Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. Biden signed the landmark legislation into law two days after Christmas that year in 2021, which then set up a two-year process for the Defense Department to create uh, a, a new regime of special prosecutors that would handle sexual assault and uh, another handful of other high-profile crimes. The final step needed to change the uniform code of military justice uh, under the law, that was a presidential executive order, and lawmakers directed Mr. Biden to issue that uh, order by this coming December. Instead, White House officials said Mr. Biden did so a week ago last Friday, five months ahead of the deadline. So this is all uh, good news, I should uh, suggest. The move to the uh, to change the military justice system was galvanized back in 2020, a case of a specialist by the name of Vanessa Guillen, Guillen whose uh, burned and mutilated body was discovered after she had tried to report instances of sexual harassment by another soldier who the Army said 
ultimately killed her and later himself. That case and others were frequently cited by Ms. Gillibrand and other female lawmakers, including uh, former Rep. Jackie Speer, Democrat of California, and uh, Republican Senator Joni Ernst of, of Iowa, who uh, is a retired National Guard lieutenant colonel. She said her own experience as a victim of sexual assault informed her views on the issue. So there's some good news, whether it's been uh, sung to the masses so they understand what's actually gone on, what's actually changed here. A lot of this had to do with Biden's defense secretary, Lloyd Austin, a retired Army general, endorsing these changes back in 2021. General Mark Milley, the chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, eventually came along. But whether uh, people know about it, well, uh, now you do. Which brings us to another related, long overdue, landmark military uh, initiative under this president. That would be the passage of the PACT Act, which maybe you have heard of, maybe you have not. PACT Act is the Promise to Address Comprehensive Toxics Act to finally extend appropriate medical benefits to service members made sick by toxic burn pits while on duty and other medical issues that they've had to fight to get coverage for at this point for many decades. Even as Republicans and Democrats alike claim that they will do anything for the men and women of the military, and then when they go out and fight or they go out and get sick at a military base— They don't take the care of them that they should. The new law, the PACT Act, was finally adopted and signed by President Biden. It expands VA health care and benefits to veterans who are exposed to burn pits, to Agent Orange. Yes, that's how far back we're going and other toxic substances. And it adds to the list of health conditions uh, caused by exposure to those substances. As the VA notes, this law helps provide generations of veterans and their survivors with the care and benefits they've earned and deserve. Former Daily Show host John Stewart has been for years a remarkably effective and frankly tireless advocate for the adoption of this uh, of this legislation. And if you know anybody suffering any illnesses related to their time of service, you may want to hear John Stewart's recent message on the deadline this week, this Wednesday to make sure that you or anyone you know that is entitled to these new benefits actually gets these new benefits in full. Hey, it's John Stewart. Uh, I got a little message here for anybody who served uh, and was exposed to any kind of toxic materials, uh, Agent Orange, burn pits, and all these other things. They've passed the PACT Act, which expands medical benefits to survivors and veterans uh, and medical care. Please file for those benefits. And if you do so before August 9th, then you're eligible to get those benefits backdated one year to when the PACT Act passed uh, August 10th, 2022. You can file for benefits under the PACT Act anytime, but if you do it by August 9th, or even just go to va.gov slash PACT Act and say intent to file, that'll hold your spot. But if you do that, you can get it done. That's uh, for anybody exposed to you know, uh, any theater of war that has terrible toxic things or military bases, or even just if if you've been through Jersey, just driven through, just, I don't know that that would qualify. (laughs) It should! (laughs) 
But please do, because the PACT Act has expanded benefits, whether you're a Vietnam-era veteran, a Gulf War-era veteran, post-9-11 veteran, anybody who served, it's expanded those benefits, because previously in the PACT Act, uh, the government had not really done a... What kind of job did they... Terrible! They did a terrible job <laughs> with toxic exposures, but the PACT Act has changed and all that. So please, uh, I beg of you, uh, get those benefits that you and your family have earned. And if you're watching this and you're not a veteran, please pass this along and, and get those that are eligible to go to va.gov slash pact and file for the benefits. Uh, it will be well worth it. And thank you. You've earned them. There you go. Once again, that's va.gov slash pact, P-A-C-T. There is no deadline to apply for PACT Act benefits, uh, but as the uh, webpage there notes that if you file your PACT Act claim or you quickly submit that you have an intent to file, if you do that by August 9, uh, that's this Wednesday, you may be able to receive benefits backdated to last August 2022. So don't wait. Apply today. The VA urges, as do I. Okay. Speaking of deadlines, the uh, deadline to vote in a critical Ohio special election uh, called by Republicans just months after they had otherwise banned special August elections. That election is Tuesday, August 8th is Election Day. I will get to that in a moment. But speaking of elections in which uh, Republicans, Republican officials had hoped people wouldn't vote. This one in the great state of Tennessee last Thursday in August, not exactly a day of the week or a month of the year that most folks are thinking about elections. The state GOP's authoritarian gambit to remove two progressive state lawmakers from elected office via supermajority via authoritarian fiat, well, that has failed miserably as the battle between autocracy and democracy continues in these United States with, well, for now, democracy continuing to win. Reps, state reps, Justin Pearson of Memphis and Justin Jones of Nashville, the two Justins, both comfortably that's an understatement, comfortably reclaimed their legislative seats in the Tennessee House in a Thursday special election last week. Jones celebrated the victory with a tweet, noting the pair will be back in the state house when a special session to discuss potential changes to the gun to the state's gun safety uh, laws begins later this month. The landslide victories for both came almost three months after Pearson and Jones, two young black progressive Democrats, were expelled by Tennessee Republicans for daring to participate in a peaceful gun protest on the House floor just after another appalling mass shooting in that state. During the April demonstration, Pearson and Jones, along with Rep. Gloria Johnson of Knoxville, an older white woman who survived the GOP-led attempts to oust the entire trio, joined a group of demonstrators made up mostly of teachers and children and parents holding signs and protesting the Nashville school shooting days earlier that left three children and three school personnel dead. The group packed the state's capital. Uh, they chanted for new gun safety laws. Jones, Johnson and Pearson all cheered on the protesters from the front of the House chamber. In response, state Republicans moved forward with efforts to oust all three of them. 
claiming that the three Democrats, quote, did knowingly and intentionally bring disorder and dishonor to the House of Representatives. The uh, Republican House leaders uh, actually compared their support of the peaceful protesters to the January 6th insurrection. Quote, Republican, this is Republican House Speaker Cameron Sexton of the wildly gerrymandered uh, state house. Uh, he said, quote, what they did today was equivalent, at least equivalent, maybe worse, depending on how you look at it, to doing an insurrection at the state capitol. Days later, the Republicans voted to oust Jones and Pearson, both young men of color, but they did not punish Johnson, the white woman. House Republican leaders have repeatedly denied that there, that race was any factor at all in the expulsions. But Democrats across the country, including the uh, third protester, Johnson, pushed back, saying that the only reason she wasn't expelled was because she is white. The expulsion drew national support for the trio, dubbed the Tennessee Three. Pearson and Jones raised more than $2 million combined for their reelection campaigns through about 70,400 campaign donations from across the country, which is an unheard of amount uh, for two freshman Democrats in a state house super minority. I think in Jones's race, there was only about 2,500 people voted. Anyway, uh, that, while on the flip side, more than 15 Republican lawmakers had tried to funnel, funnel a bunch of cash to the cap campaign efforts of Jones's Republican opponent, uh, who raised just $34,000 herself for the race. Sad. Uh, but despite the uh, GOP efforts, Jones won approximately 78 percent of the votes in uh, House District 52 uh, against her last <laughs> Thursday. Now, I'm no math whiz, but that does sound like a definitive win. Wait until the second one. You haven't heard the numbers on that one yet, Des. Pearson's, Pearson's opponent was an independent. He raised less than $400. And yes, Pearson won that election, according to the currently reported results, with 94% of the vote. OK. I am enough of a math whiz to know yeah, that is one, a decisive that right? okay. win. Very good. Very good. Uh, anyway, uh, moving them, you know, if you feel like you've heard this story before, it's because when the Democrats were expelled back in April, their House seats automatically went vacant. That left about 140,000 voters in primary black primarily black districts in Nashville and Memphis with no representation in the House at all in Tennessee. But according to Tennessee law, the uh, respective county legislative bodies were then allowed to make appointments to fill the seats of the expelled lawmakers temporarily until a special election could be held. That was held last Thursday. But both of those men, Pearson and Jones, were unanimously voted by their respective county boards to return to the seats where they were expelled from uh, and, and they were able to serve as interim House members until they won their special election. So, in fact, they were really only gone for a matter of hours. Uh, and with Thursday's elections, both uh, Democrats have now officially won back their respective seats in special elections for the rest of their original two-year terms. Well done, Republicans. Uh, and, and how much did those two special elections, by the way, 
thanks to the racist Republicans pretending to be law and order fiscal conservatives, how much did those cost taxpayers? Just asking. And in other August, actually, let me take a call here. Let me take a quick call before we get to a break. Uh, let me do that. Let me take a quick call here. Let me go to, uh, I don't even know what he wants to talk about, but I'm already tired of hearing myself. Let's go to Art in San Diego. Hey, Art, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hey, Brad, how are you? I'm okay. Yourself? Um, I'm good. I'm happy about what happened last week. And I, one thing I want to is express appreciation for you as one of the few people in the media who from the beginning has framed this issue as Trump stole the election mm-hmm. from the constitutional majority of Americans. Yeah. I mean, that, why can't the mainstream media see it that way? It's maddening. It is maddening. And I was going to, uh, in the next uh, block, if I have time, I'm going to play. There are some who are coming around and beginning to get it right. But, yeah, I, I don't understand it. And my other point I want to make is that we, the anti-Trump constitutional majority, should starting now, loudly proclaim that our hope is that he is the Republican nominee. Mm. Not because he would be the easiest person to beat, which he might be, Mm -hmm. but to give us the opportunity to inflict a once-and-for-all humiliating defeat on him. And so we beat him by 7 million votes last time, and we should go for 15 million this time. (laughs) And And also, we should start explicitly framing this. It's not Biden versus Trump. It's Americans who believe in reality and democracy versus Trump mm. and his cult deny his mm. reality denying cultists. Mm-hmm. So, so I appreciate everything you're doing, and uh, let's send make Trump the biggest loser in American history. Oh, he already is. But I hear you, Art. Thank you very much. I, pre- I appreciate that call. Uh, our phone number is eight, thanks, Art. Really do eight one eight nine eight five five seven three five. Um, let me get to before I get to that break, though, uh, as long as we're talking about elections and we'll come back, we'll talk about Trump. If you want to talk about him some more, always happy to talk about Donald Trump, <laughs> sort of in uh, other August special election news today with uh, authoritarian Republicans hoping to scam voters, to scare voters, to lie to voters. And or hoping voters just don't show up to vote at all. Here is what a lot of folks in Ohio have been seeing on their TV machines in recent weeks. Your daughter's young, vulnerable, online. You fear the worst, pushed to change her sex or to get an abortion. You have some right to help her through this. But activists want to take all that away. Under their proposed amendment to the Ohio Constitution, the state shall not interfere with individuals getting abortions or sex changes, meaning you could be cut out of the biggest decision of her life. (laughs) So, yeah, talk about misleading. There, there, nobody is going to make your daughters uh, get a have to get a sex change uh, without your permission. Uh, it means the state would actually, in fact, uh, the state would be cutting out her decision, not you, not not the parents. And oh yeah, that has nothing to do with what is on the Ohio ballot on Tuesday. The ad is part of a multi-million dollar effort to hoax Ohio voters into thinking that Tuesday's issue one is something that it is not. The effort of uh, is being is being fronted by this group calling themselves deceptively protect 
Women, Ohio. And that spot, among others, was fact-checked by the Ohio Capital Journal, an independent news organization, uh, as false. Uh, so that's the kind of nonsense that Republicans are trying to hoax uh, voters into believing that issue one is about. Instead, Ohioans will decide on Tuesday whether to support issue one, which is a proposed ballot measure that would simply make it harder, more difficult for voters to amend the state constitution in the future. Like, for example, this November, when citizens have placed an initiative on the ballot to protect reproductive freedoms and to write that into the state constitution as lawmakers in the gerrymandered Ohio state legislature continue to attempt to ban those freedoms for their constituents. The issue on Tuesday's ballot in this special election was placed there by Republican lawmakers just a few weeks ago, hoping to make it more difficult for the citizens-led rights initiative to be adopted in November by hereafter requiring a 60 percent supermajority for the adoption of future ballot initiatives. The one that Republicans are hoping to adopt on Tuesday in Ohio would only require a 50 percent plus one majority for passage, as all previous such ballot measures have required going back hundreds of years in Ohio. This August special election also comes just a few months after those same Republicans in the state legislature had fought to make August elections unlawful. And they were successful in that. Uh, They actually passed legislation to uh, ban August elections. And then they turned around just weeks later and made a special exception for themselves in order to try and prevent the November ballot measure to protect abortion and other reproductive rights. And supporters of Tuesday's authoritarian issue one have therefore been lying about what the measure actually does. It actually makes it harder to adopt any and all future initiatives and makes it even harder to place them on the ballot. But the far right wingers are out there pretending that this is about taking away your parental rights to to uh, prevent your kid from having a sex change without your knowledge or something. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um, some really amazing nonsense, misleading lies and fear mongering. I mean, the the title of one of those ads is fear the worst. Exactly. And they're literally coming out and saying you must fear the worst. This is to be very afraid of. Now, because Ohio has not held a statewide election in August since 1926, Republicans uh, had hoped and, and many were initially concerned the turnout would be low. And yet, as of Friday, so uh, just days ago before the Tuesday election, almost 600,000 Ohioans had voted early on issue one since voting be- early voting began on June 23. Those are huge numbers which, of course, those in favor of rights and freedoms, uh, in this case, Democrats and others opposed to uh, making direct democracy virtually impossible in the otherwise gerrymandered state, uh, they, they hope that's a good sign that issue one will go down to defeat on Tuesday, uh, clearing the path then for the November initiative, which uh, currently polling shows is supported by a whopping 58 percent majority of voters, if not the 60 percent that would be required for passage 
if issue one succeeds on Tuesday. Data shows turnout is has only been increasing throughout the entire early vote period with over 223,000 votes cast over just last week. Uh, last week, the Ohio Capital Journal reported that early turnout numbers were already running higher than the entirety of last year's midterm primary elections. Uh, a recent change in state law, not to make it easier for voters, I promise you, took away early in-person voting on the Monday before election. So polls were closed on August 7, and some Ohioans may have a different polling location than usual because the August 8 election was approved in May. A number of schools and churches that are typically uh, that typically serve as polling locations had already had other activities on their schedules, and they were unavailable on Election Day. As of last Wednesday, election officials had recruited over 32,000 poll workers statewide. Well, that's good. It surpassed their goal of 31,800. However, according to the Secretary of State's office, poll work, uh, to their poll worker tracker, 50 of Ohio's 88 counties still had not met their goals for poll worker recruitment, as many folks these days, aside from it being the middle of summer, many folks, uh, you know, after years of being threatened by right wingers, well, poll working has become a seemingly dangerous job. It is hard to get those workers. And Ohio's Secretary of State, Frank LaRose, who successfully led the fight against August elections back in January of this year, calling them low turnout, expensive ripoffs for taxpayers. Well, that was at least until Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose then became the lead supporter of holding a special election in August on issue one to try and take away rights from voters in the upcoming elections in November. And last week, just five days Before Ohio's special election, according to Fox 8 in Cleveland, polling locations were changed for tens of thousands of voters in Cuyahoga County, uh, that's Cleveland, and Summit counties, and uh, potentially others in the Buckeye State. Voters who plan on heading to the polls in person in Ohio on Tuesday. I think I'd actually warned last week that, boy, voting early would be a good idea given this is Ohio and the dirty tricks they're going to play, but... Uh, voters who are going to vote on Tuesday now, double check you're going to the right place. Apparently more than 47,000 voters are affected by these changes to some 50 voting precincts in Cuyahoga and Summit counties alone, not to mention those in the Columbus area and Franklin County, uh, where we have folks maybe listening at our great affiliate WGRN up there. Uh, so check before you go to, go to vote that your polling place is where you think it is. You can uh, supposedly check your local county board of elections website for uh, polling locations. The uh, changes are reportedly temporarily uh, temporary, only affecting the August eight special election, of course. Of course. And I'm also seeing reports of very long lines because of this uh, high demand. Now, of course, we don't Mm -hmm. know how the voting is going to go. So it's a good idea that if you know somebody in Ohio to let them know, hey, if you might not know, there's a special election on Tuesday. You might want to speak up about whether or not you think Ohio voters should be able to continue uh, passing voter-led initiatives with a simple majority, majority. as has been done for decades, centuries in Ohio. 
So, yeah, we will see if those uh, huge early voting numbers actually do translate into uh, opposition to issue one. Opposition uh, would be, uh, in this case, support of democracy, support of majority rule. Uh, We will, of course, keep our eyes on the matter and for any trouble at the polling places around the state on Tuesday. But, hey, Ohio, you got this. All right. I need to take a quick break here. But I would, of course, welcome your calls on any of uh, of those stories or any of the others in the news. Uh, These are, for the moment anyway, still your public airwaves. At 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, if you would like to ring in on uh, any of those things or anything else, like our caller Art there, who I actually thought was going to talk about something else, which is why I jumped him to the head of the line. I thought he was going to oppose me on something. I'm disappointed to hear he did not. But you are welcome to do so at 818-985-KPFK. Um on Donald J. Trump for his uh, uh, his latest indictment for his attempt, along with several conspirators, to, as Art said, steal the 2020 election. Thank you, Art. Will that indictment finally break the GOP fever? And will they ever will they realize that they are being led around by a grifting cult leading charlatan? Or will they continue to get behind that grifting cult leading charlatan? To become the next president of the United States in 2024, or will yet another upcoming indictment? This would be his fourth in the great state of Georgia, which could come any day, any moment, any hour now. Would that make a difference? Curiously, uh, some of his 2024 Republican opponents are finally beginning to figure out that he's got a huge weak, weak spot there. And they are taking, let's call them baby steps towards trying to exploit it. Anyway, 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Uh, Some of those uh, baby steps and your calls are straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to the world-famous broadcast. Five major corporations now own over 80% of all media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Your support helps us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations across the country. You can make a real difference by supporting independent media. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. Join us at Brad. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Well, don't you know that's the sound of the men working on the chain. Gang. That's the sound of the men working on the chain. Gang. All day long. All right, well. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves yet, just yet. But, uh, oh, I don't know. Maybe someone will be working on a chain game before long if <laughs> well, things I keep going. Well, I would say you could also way. say that yeah. uh, Republicans are working very, very hard uh, to make sure that Trump is shielded from any kind of legal accountability for trying to steal the 2020 election. Yes, they are working very hard. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. I would love to take your calls on that or anything else you would like to talk to me about. 818-985-KPFK is my phone number, 818-985-5735. Hit button number one, because we are in uh, fun drive right now, or hit button number two. That's good, too. Um, 
you know, he has, uh, as you know, been charged with uh, four criminal felonies, including three conspiracy charges just last week alone related to that failed effort to steal the 2020 presidential election. And as the 2024 race heats up, incredibly, Donald Trump is still the front runner for some reason in the Republican Party. Now, the bulk of the media continue to uh, go to extraordinary lengths to not use the word, the most simplest explanation, the most accurate terms to help Americans understand exactly what Donald Trump did. The mainstream media can't seem to do it. Democrats can't seem to do it, uh, at least the majority of them. So let me be clear. Donald Trump tried multiple times to steal the 2020 presidential election from the American people. The bulk of the, uh, of the media continue to, to go to extraordinary lengths to not use those words. They describe it as his efforts to undermine or reverse or undo or roll back or subvert the election results to question or challenge them, making it easy for Republicans to minimize the fact that a sitting president of the United States tried to steal an election, a presidential election before our very eyes, Some, something which had a Democrat done it, the, you know, Republicans would be accusing him or her of it constantly and they would be right to do so. And because Republicans would be doing it, media would be repeating it every day for them. Whenever I find someone in the corporate media uh, who is accurately reporting what happened, I do try to highlight it. Last week, it was Joy Reid on MSNBC who said – and she follows me on Twitter. And this, I thought, might explain it. But she said this during post-indictment coverage. This is Donald Trump conspiring to commit an armed robbery, to steal the votes – of the people in those states, to steal the election from them, to steal the election in each of these states. There you go, Joy. Way to go. Is that so difficult? Now, as listener Ron up in Michigan wrote in to me last week via Bradcast at Bradblog.com, he, he actually complained that I needed to give Chris Hayes also on MSNBC. His show follows Joy Reid. I needed to give uh, Chris Hayes credit for doing the same. Uh, he wrote, quote, you should give Chris, Hay uh, Chris Hayes credit for consistently saying steal the election. I, I, I don't get to watch Chris's show much, so I do appreciate the help from listeners. And indeed, Ron was kind enough to send in a pointer to just one example. Here was uh, Chris Hayes last Thursday, the day of Trump's second federal arraignment. This one on four felony charges related to, well, no mugshot was taken of the ex-president, but his fingerprints were taken. There are no cameras allowed in federal court, but we have these sketches where Donald J. Trump, the 44th president of the United States, was arraigned, 45th president of the United States, was arraigned on four felony counts for his attempts to steal the election. What? What? Thank you, Chris Hayes. Again, not that difficult. And if we have any uh, reported instances of anybody who is not on MSNBC or on the broadcast referring to stolen elections uh, by Donald Trump in 2020, we will, of course, let you know. But credit where it's due with Chris Hayes there. Also credit where it may not be due 
with some of the Republican candidates who are running against Donald Trump. I'll get to that in a second, but uh, some folks want to get in here with some calls and thoughts and questions. 818-985-5735. 818-985-KPFK. Let me go to Martellus uh, in Los Angeles. Hey, Martellus, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you, Brad. I lived in Cincinnati when Mayor when when Jerry Springer was mayor, <laughs> a friend of mine named Jay Kenneth Blackwell became mayor after that. Oh boy! He just did two books on the fact that he said that Obama was trying to do the same thing that Trump was doing. Also, him and Carl Rove trash vote vote during one of the elections. Please Google Jay Kenneth Blackwell. Oh, I know, I know Jay Kenneth Blackwell, Martellus. You, you want to talk about Jay Kenneth Blackwell? He's uh, and, I, and I hear that he's your friend. You say he's your friend. Uh, he is. I, we lived in the same building in college. Okay, is he still your friend? He's not my friend now. Oh, good. That's good for you, Martellus, because uh, and and we're going to turn you down just a little bit uh, there, uh, Wendell, while because he's got some wind blowing in. So turn it down just a little bit. But Martellus, uh, J. Kenneth Blackwell is a terrible guy. He is a vote suppressor. He uh, maybe single handedly is responsible for handing the uh, Ohio's election in 2004 to George W. Bush uh, uh, under what are let's be kind and say unlawful means um he he's just a huge vote suppressor and he has gone on to uh take wingnut welfare in the years since leaving office to go around the country and to lie about election fraud so did you know that and and is that why you are no longer uh, friends with uh, j kenneth blackwell martellus Yes, it is. He was a Democrat when he was mayor. Then he became Republican. Mm. He's been a vote suppressor ever since. Yep. What I wanted to know also, Brad, what you're talking about is this thing happening in Hamilton County and Butler County, which is in the Cincinnati area, yeah. about the activity of what you're saying about this legislation that they're passing mm. in other parts of Ohio to suppress votes or make it possible for people not to be able to vote. Okay, yeah. And uh, in fact, it is a statewide election. So these problems could happen anywhere, especially if there's a shortage of poll workers and they decide at the last minute we need to close down a poll uh, polling place because we just don't have enough people to staff it. Uh, that's why I've been you know, telling people to vote early. But yes, everywhere across Ohio is welcome to vote on issue one on Tuesday. The question is, uh, I don't know all of the places where they have shut down polling place uh, polling sites. I know they have in uh, in Franklin County, uh, which is uh, 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 Columbus. I know they have in Cuyahoga, which is Cleveland. So it would not surprise me if the same thing was going on in Hamilton County. So I would uh, recommend to our Ohio listeners out there, and frankly, our listeners everywhere in the country, these votes suppressors, be it J. Kenneth Blackwell, be it uh, their current Secretary of State, Frank LaRose, they are now getting desperate. It's autocracy versus democracy, and they're going to use every autocratic means they can to prevent you from voting, to take away direct democracy, as they're doing now in Ohio. This is going to get worse before it gets better, but it's going to get better if people stand up at the polls for, and, 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 uh, you know, and vote. It's that simple, but you may have to fight like hell to cast that vote, Martellus. Could you review his last two books with an attorney 
that claims that Obama was trying to do the same thing Trump is doing to try to overturn the government. No. Please review that. I want to hear your commentary about his latest two books with an attorney. Well, because, well, because there's not enough misinformation out there. I now got to go spending time to, to get this tired old uh, 2004 loser of a secretary of state read his book, his two books, and then come and tell you what's wrong about them. I mean, I have no idea what it is. What, can you tell me what his claims are? Are that Barack Obama was doing that is the same as 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 Trump when it comes to elections? Can you summarize that for me? Speaking, I just googled it the other day, and more or less, he said that Obama was planning to do the same thing that Trump was doing, but it never was it it never was exposed exact details. I I saw I googled it, and I got to review it again. Yeah, but he was being interviewed by another journalist. And he sounded real good, but I haven't confirmed. That's yeah. why I figure you're a better expert than me. Yeah. And reviewing this commentary. Yeah, he he always sounds real good. Uh, the fact of the matter is. Uh, he's full of crap. No, uh, Barack Obama was not attempting to steal his uh, second term in office, no matter what it is that J. Kenneth Blackwell takes uh, blood money in order to lie to the American public about. But I, I will keep my eyes out for it. Uh, my email address, uh, Martellus, if you want to send me a specific quote from the book or something, I am bradcast at bradblog.com, and I'd be happy to look at it. Thank you, Brad. I appreciate you. You have a great show. You're a great journalist. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you as well. Appreciate the call. Uh, 818-985-KPFK is our phone number. 818-985-5735. Let me go to uh, Dowd. Is that how I say his name? Dowd. Dowd. Dowd in... Uh, oh, there we go. Hang on. I, gotta, I, I, I still don't know how to operate telephones. Been doing this for 20 years, still don't know how. Dowd in Compton. There we go. Welcome to the broadcast, sir, I think. Sir? What's going on? How y'all doing? There we go. I'm doing okay. How are you, Dowd? Is that how you say your name? Yes. Okay. Um, I just have one question, you know, and I've been, like, you know, asking this around on different um, uh, websites and things like that, but Mm -hmm. can you uh, give me your take on somebody? who has been impeached two times hmm. and has multiple indictments, some pending, is allowed to uh, run for president. I just don't understand that. You know, he's got all these cases against him, yet he, he's going to be allowed to run for president? Yep. Yep. Can you help me make sense of that? Yeah, I think I can, because <clears throat> if you are impeached, and uh, which he was, and then you have a trial in the Senate, which he was twice, the second time regarding January 6th, in which the uh, Republicans joined with the Democrats for a 57-43 majority to find him guilty of inciting that insurrection on January 6th, despite 57-43 vote, that's not enough uh, to, uh, to remove him from office in an impeachment trial. It has to be a supermajority. It has to be two-thirds of the vote. And they weren't able to get that many um, uh, Republicans. They couldn't find that many honest Republicans. So they couldn't remove him from office and they couldn't then vote to disqualify him for future office. So he's free to run again. Now, there is an exception to that, however, and that is the uh, insurrection 
uh, disqualification clause in the U.S. Constitution, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which essentially says that uh, if you've taken the oath of office and then you turn around and insurrect against the government, that you are no longer uh, qualified to run to be in office or to run for office. And it is that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment that uh, some folks are out there, we've talked about it on the show, trying to reach out to secretaries of state around the country and say, look, this guy is disqualified from the ballot under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. But that requ- for, for having aided and abetted an insurrection. <clears throat> that uh, 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 constitutional clause, however, needs to be taken up by those people who decide if Donald Trump is qualified for the ballot. And the folks, for example, at freespeechforpeople.org have been working very hard to get uh, secretary of states around the country to say, nope, Donald Trump does not qualify. We will see if that happens. But uh, short of that, yeah, I got news for you, Doubt. He could not only be impeached and indicted, he could be convicted, he could be jailed, and he could still run as president from jail. It has been done before. Wow. Yeah. I don't understand, but anyway, you know, <laughs> thanks for all that. Um, I, listen, now, I, I know that you feel like you don't understand, but here's the thing. You do understand. Yes, it is that insane. As it sounds, it is that insane, and yet that is our system of government until we change it. We do have democracy. We can try to rewrite the Constitution. We can try to rewrite the laws. But uh, I know you feel like you don't understand. But the news is you do understand. It is just that nuts. Yeah. Okay. Got um, it. Thank you for your reply and uh, keep up the good work. I really enjoy listening to your show. Thank you, my friend. I greatly appreciate that. Uh, 818-985-KPFK. Do we have time for one? Maybe a one or two quick ones. Let's see. Let's get to Mike in Los Angeles. Hey, Mike, welcome to the broadcast. I only got about 30 seconds or so for you, unfortunately. Hey, Red. I remember a guy on your show many months ago saying that Trump was guilty of advocating the overthrow of the U.S. government mm-hmm. by force and violence. Yep. I think it was me. Ah, there you go. Well, I know some people are, are paying attention that, uh, you know, section. I should point that viewer to, well, uh, that listener, I mentioned um, uh, freespeechforpeople.org. I think you can go to 14.3.org and get immediate information on the uh, disqualification clause, the insurrection disqualification clause in the U.S. Constitution. And as to your question whether there will the number of indictments that there will be altogether against Trump, yeah. even discounting Georgia, there will be more than there are now. He can't help himself. He has the emotional maturity that suggests that Broad Simpson is a very solid and mature individual. B- Broad Simpson? Bart Simpson. Oh, Bart Simpson. Bart Simpson. Yeah. By way of comparison, you're right. I say Bart for president, 2024. (sighs) Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate the call. Good to hear from you, my friend. And one more. Can I get Jose? Jose in Los Angeles. Uh, Hey, Jose. Welcome to the broadcast. Hi. Great show as always. Thank you, sir. I just wanted to add the question to um, Donald Trump. Why is he allowed to run? Why is Ted Cruz allowed to run? He's from Canada. Thank you. Keep up the good work. (laughs) Well, we can't knock him out just because he's from Canada. However, 
that do- that would keep him if he was not a natural born U.S. citizen. That would keep him from being able to run for president, even though he does try to run for president. There's questions about his uh, citizenship and so forth. But uh, a case can be made that he also participated in the insurrection and therefore should be qualified from the ballot next time he tries to run. Working on it. A lot of accountability, not nearly enough time. Thank you for your help today to everyone, to all of my callers, uh, to my board operator, Wendell Handy. Thank you, sir. No mistakes. A plus. No notes. And to my producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can always download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters uh, and the Mastodons. I am simply the Brad Blog. We'll see you there until we see you here. Hopefully tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Bradcast. We are 100% listener supported thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com slash donate. You're listening to the American Democracy Minute, keeping your government buy-in for the people. We're back in Alabama today where civil rights groups go back to federal district court to oppose the legislature's defiant, racially gerrymandered congressional voting district map. The U.S. Supreme Court's Allen v. Milligan decision made clear that to be in compliance with Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, Alabama should create a map with two majority-minority districts. The state has seven congressional districts and is almost 27% African American, but has only one majority black district. The legislature refused, again creating one barely majority black district at 50.65% and another district, which the overwhelmingly white majority legislature calls an opportunity district, at 40%. During the Milligan case, experts proposed a map with two majority black districts, which the legislature chose to ignore. A complaint filed July 28th by plaintiffs begins with the words, Alabama is in open defiance of the federal courts, and they ask, quote, that the court enjoin Alabama's proposed plan as a plainly insufficient remedy and proceed to a court-driven remedial process to ensure plaintiffs obtain relief in time for the 2024 election. The remedial process would likely be a court-appointed special master to draw a compliant map. The complaint will be heard August 14th in U.S. District Court in Birmingham. We have a link to the full complaint at AmericanDemocracyMinute.org. I'm Brian Beal. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1978. That was the day President Jimmy Carter declared a federal health emergency at Love Canal in the city of Niagara Falls, New York. Premier spokeswoman, housewife Lois Gibbs, became the poster child for the citizens' environmental justice movement virtually overnight. Niagara Falls Gazette journalists had broken the story two years earlier. Residential sump pump testings and health surveys found a number of toxic chemicals and unusually high rates 
rates of cancers, birth defects, miscarriages, and other serious health concerns. Initially planned as a canal, the site remained abandoned until the 1940s. That's when Hooker Electrochemical Plant and the city began using the site to dispose of toxic chemicals and municipal waste. More than 20,000 tons of toxic sludge containing more than 21,000 chemicals were buried there. Then, in 1953, the city school board bought the site and built two schools on the property. Soon, about a thousand families settled nearby. By the early 1970s, residents complained of foul odors, health issues, substances filling their basements, and leaky waste disposal drums popping up in their backyards, killing all plant life. Carter's initial declaration provided limited funding, but the disaster led to the passage of the Superfund Act. The neighborhood was demolished and residents were compensated and relocated. The new owner of Hooker Chemical, Occidental Petroleum, settled with the EPA for $129 million. Despite 21 years of remediation and residential redevelopment, new residents complained in 2011 of foul odors and ruptured sewer lines oozing toxic sludge. By 2014, 1,000 new complaints had been filed, contending the area had never been properly remediated. Labor History in 2 brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show.